Volume One, Chapter One of Clayhanger. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clayhanger by Arnold Bennett, Volume One, His Vocation, Chapter One, The Last of a Schoolboy. Edwin Clayhanger stood on the steep-sloping red-brick canal bridge in the valley between Bursley and its suburb Hillport. In that neighbourhood, the Knype and Mersey Canal formed the western boundary of the industrialism of the five towns. To the east rose pitheads, chimneys and kilns, tier above tier, dim in their own mists. To the west, hillport fields, grimed but possessing authentic hedgerows and winding paths, mounted broadly up to the sharp ridge on which stood Hillport Church, a landmark. Beyond the ridge, and partly protected by it from the driving smoke of the five towns, lay the fine and ancient Tory borough of Oldcastle, from whose historic middle school Edwin Clayhanger was now walking home. The fine and ancient Tory borough provided education for the whole of the five towns, but the relentless ignorance of its prejudices had blighted the district. A hundred years earlier, the canal had only been obtained after a vicious parliamentary fight between industry and the fine and ancient borough, which saw in canals a menace to its importance as a centre of traffic. Fifty years earlier, the fine and ancient borough had succeeded in forcing the greatest railway line in England to run through unpopulated country five miles off instead of through the five towns, because it loathed the mere conception of a railway. And now people are inquiring why the five towns, with a railway system special to itself, is characterised by a perhaps excessive provincialism these interesting details have everything to do with the history of edwin clayhanger as they have everything to do with the history of each of the two hundred thousand souls in the five towns old castle guessed not the vast influences of its sublime stupidity it was a breezy friday in july eighteen seventy two the canal which ran north and south reflected a blue and white sky towards the bridge from the north came a long narrow canal boat roofed with tarpaulins and towards the bridge from the south came a similar craft sluggishly creeping the towing path was a morass of sticky brown mud for in the way of rain that year was breaking the records of a century and a half thirty yards in front of each boat an unhappy skeleton of a horse floundered its best in the quagmire the honest endeavour of one of the animals received a frequent tonic from a bare-legged girl of seven who heartily curled a whip about its crooked large-jointed legs the ragged and filthy child danced in the rich mud around the horse's flanks with the simple joy of one who had been rewarded for good behaviour by the unrestricted use of a whip for the first time part two Edwin, with his elbows on the stone parapet of the bridge, stared uninterested at the spectacle of the child, the whip, and the skeleton. He was not insensible to the piquancy of the pageant of life, but his mind was preoccupied with grave and heavy matters. He had left school that day, and what his eyes saw as he leaned on the bridge was not a willing beast and a gladdened infant, but the puzzling world and the advance guard of its problems bearing down on him slim gawky untidy 
fair with his worn black braided clothes and slung over his shoulders in a bursting satchel the last load of his school-books and on his bright rough hair a shapeless cap whose lining protruded behind he had the extraordinary wistful look of innocence and simplicity which marks most boys of sixteen it seemed rather a shame it seemed even tragic that this naive simple creature with his straightforward and friendly eyes so eager to believe appearances this creature immaculate of worldly experience must soon be transformed into a man wary incredulous detracting older eyes might have wept at the simplicity of those eyes this picture of edwin as a wistful innocent would have made edwin laugh he had been seven years at school and considered himself a hardened sort of brute free of illusions and he sometimes thought that he could judge the world better than most neighbouring mortals hello the sunday he murmured without turning his eyes another boy a little younger and shorter and clothed in a superior untidiness had somehow got on to the bridge and was leaning with his back against the parapet which supported edwin's elbows his eyes were franker and simpler even than the eyes of edwin and his lips seemed to be permanently parted in a good-humoured smile his name was charlie orgreave but at school he was invariably called the sunday not sunday but the sunday and nobody could authoritatively explain how he had come by the nickname its origin was lost in the prehistoric ages of his childhood he and edwin had been chums for several years they had not sworn fearful oaths of loyalty they did not constitute a secret society they had not even pricked forearms and written certain words in blood for these rites are only performed at harrow and possibly at the old castle high school which imitates harrow their fellowship meant chiefly that they spent a great deal of time together instinctively and unconsciously enjoying each other's mere presence and that in public arguments they always reinforced each other whatever the degree of intellectual dishonesty thereby necessitated i'll bet you mine gets to the bridge first said the sunday with an ingenious movement of the shoulders he arranged himself so that the parapet should bear the weight of his satchel edwin clayhanger slowly turned round and perceived that the object which the sunday had appropriated as his was the other canal-boat advancing from the south horse or boat asked edwin boat's nose of course said the sunday well said edwin having surveyed the unconscious competitors and counting on the aid of the whipping child i don't mind laying you five that be damned for a tale protested the sunday we said we'd never bet less than ten you know that yes but edwin hesitatingly drawled but what all right ten edwin agreed but it's not fair you've got a rare start on me rats said the sunday with finality in the pronunciation of this word the difference between his accent and edwin's came out clear the sunday's accent was less local there was a hint of a short e sound in the r and a briskness about the consonants that edwin could never have compassed the sunday's accent was as carelessly superior as his clothes evidently the sunday had someone at home who had not learnt the art of speech in the five towns part three he began to outline a scheme in which perpendicular expectoration figured for accurately deciding the winner and a complicated argument might have ensued about this had it not soon become apparent that edwin's boat was going to be handsomely beaten despite the joyous efforts of the little child 
the horse that would die but would not give up was only saved from total subsidence at every step by his indomitable if aged spirit edwin handed over the ten marbles even before the other boat had arrived at the bridge here he said and you may as well have these two adding five more to the ten all he possessed they were not the paltry marble of to-day plaything of infants but the majestic rinker black with white spots the king of marbles in an era when whole populations practised the game edwin looked at them half regretfully as they lay in the sunday's hands they seemed prodigious wealth in those hands and he felt somewhat as a condemned man might feel who bequeaths his jewels on the scaffold then there was a rattle and a tumour grew out larger on the sunday's thigh the winning boat long preceded by its horse crawled under the bridge and passed northwards to the sea laden with crates of earthenware and then the loser with the little girl's father and mother and her brothers and sisters and her kitchen drawing-room and bedroom and her smoking chimney and her memories and all that was hers in the stern of it slid beneath the boys downturned faces while the whip cracked away beyond the bridge they could see between the whitened tarpaulins that the deep belly of the craft was filled with clay where does that there clay come from asked edwin for not merely was he honestly struck by a sudden new curiosity but it was meet for him to behave like a man now and to ask manly questions runcorn said the sunday scornfully can't you see it painted all over the boat why do they bring clay all the way from runcorn they don't bring it from runcorn they bring it from cornwall it comes round by the sea see he laughed who told you edwin roughly demanded anybody knows that said the sunday grandly but always maintaining his gay smile seems devilish funny to me edwin murmured after reflection that they should bring clay all that roundabout way just to make crocks of it here why should they choose just this place to make crocks in i always understood oh come on the sunday cut him short it's blessed well one o'clock and after part four they climbed the long bank from the canal up to the manor farm at which high point their roads diverged one path leading direct to bleak ridge where orgreave lived and the other zigzagging down through neglected pasturage into bursley proper usually they parted here without a word taking pride in such spartan taciturnity and they would doubtless have done the same this morning also though it were fiftyfold their last walk together as two schoolboys but an incident intervened hold on cried the sunday to the south of them a mile and a half off in the wreathing mist of the cauldron bar ironworks there was a yellow gleam that even the capricious sunlight could not kill and then two rivers of fire sprang from the gleam and ran in a thousand delicate and lovely hues down the side of a mountain of refuse they were emptying a few tons of molten slag at the cauldron bar ironworks the two rivers hung slowly dying in the mists of smoke they reddened and faded and you thought they had vanished and you could see them yet and then they escaped the baffled eye unless a cloud aided them for a moment against the sun and their ephemeral but enchanting beauty had expired for ever now said edwin sharply one minute ten seconds said the sunday who had snatched out his watch an inestimable contrivance with a centre seconds hand by jove that was a good un a moment later two smaller boys both laden with satchels appeared over the brow from the canal let's wait a jiff said the sunday to edwin and as the smaller boys showed no hurry he bawled out to them across the intervening cinder waste run 
they ran they were his younger brothers johnny and jimmy take this and hook it he commanded passing the strap of his satchel over his head as they came up in fatalistic silence they obeyed the smiling tyrant what are you going to do edwin asked i'm coming down your way a bit but i thought you said you were peckish i shall eat three slices of beef instead of my usual brace said the sunday carelessly edwin was touched and the sunday was touched because he knew he had touched edwin after all this was a solemn occasion but neither would overtly admit that its solemnity had affected him hence first one and then the other began to skim stones with vicious force over the surface of the largest of the three ponds that gave interest to the manor farm when they had thus proved to themselves that the day differed in no manner from any other breaking up day they went forward on their left were two pit-heads whose double wheels revolved rapidly in smooth silence and the puffing engine-house and all the trucks and gear of a large ironstone mine on their right was the astonishing farm with barns and ricks and cornfields complete seemingly quite unaware of its forlorn oddness in that foul arena of manufacture in front on a little hill in the vast valley was spread out the indian red architecture of bursley tall chimneys and rounded ovens schools the new scarlet market the grey tower of the old church the high spire of the evangelical church the low spire of the church of genuflections and the crimson chapels and rows of little red houses with amber chimney-pots and the gold angel of the blackened town hall topping the whole the sedate reddish browns and reds of the composition all netted in flowing scarves of smoke harmonized exquisitely with the chill blues of the chequered sky beauty was achieved and none saw it the boys descended without a word through the brick-strewn pastures where a horse or two cropped the short grass at the railway bridge which carried a branch mineral line over the path they exchanged a brief volley of words with the working lads who always played pitch and toss there in the dinner hour and the sunday added to the collection of shawds and stones lodged on the under ledges of the low iron girders a strange boy he had sworn to put ten thousand stones on those ledges before he died or perish in the attempt hence edwin sometimes called him old perish in the attempt a little farther on the open gates of a manufactory disclosed six men playing the noble game of rinkers on a smooth patch of ground near the weighing machine these six men were messrs ford carter and udall the three partners owning the works and three of their employees they were celebrated marble players and the boys stayed to watch them as bending with one knee almost touching the earth they shot the rinkers from their stubby thumbs with a cannon-like force and precision that no boy could ever hope to equal by gum mumbled edwin involuntarily when an impossible shot was accomplished and the bearded shooter pleased by this tribute from youth twisted his white apron into a still narrower ring around his waist yet edwin was not thinking about the game he was thinking about a battle that lay before him and how he would be weakened in the fight by the fact that in the last school examination charlie orgreave younger than himself by a year had ousted him from the second place in the school the report in his pocket said position in class next term third whereas he had been second since the beginning of the year there would of course be no next term for him 
but the report remained a youth who has come to grips with that powerful enemy his father cannot afford to be handicapped by even such a trifle as a report entirely irrelevant to the struggle suddenly charlie orgreave gave a curt nod and departed in nonchalant good humour doubtless considering that to accompany his chum any farther would be to be guilty of girlish sentimentality and edwin nodded with equal curtness and made off slowly into the maze of bursley the thought in his heart was i'm on my own now i've got to face it now by myself and he felt that not merely his father but the leagued universe was against him End of chapter 1, volume 1